Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So this article is from the December 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. And I really enjoyed this article, and it made me kind of think back on some of the Masons that I know and have known that have laid down their working tools. So with that, let's dive into the article called Tell Us, Past Master by Bobby J. Demet, 33rd Degree. Deeply moved by the beauty of masonry, some newly made masons asked the old past master to tell them more about the Masonic apron. And the elder man replied, Masonry regards no man for the clothes he wears, the house in which he lives, the kind of car he drives, or the other luxuries he owns or uses. All masons are equal when in the lodge room, and all are clothed in the same manner. The apron is the only raiment we see. Masons stand before God equal to one another, and the apron is the sign of equality. In ancient times, the aprons were manufactured from the skins of lambs, animals deemed to be pure and without taint. Thus, the wearer of the apron assumes the characteristics, virtues, purity, and innocence typified by the lamb. Masons wear two aprons, one visible and one invisible. The visible one is a symbolic gift from the lodge to the mason. It is made of worldly material and is subject to decay and destruction. The invisible apron is the gift of God to every man who would assume the responsibilities and obligations which entitle him to wear it. This apron is eternal, not subject to decay or destruction. Man sees only the visible, God sees both, and he holds him accountable who wears the honored badge of this Masonic Lodge. The young masons then said, tell us more about the square. The old past master replied, The operative masons used the square to determine if the rough ashlar were trimmed into a block of 90 degrees on all corners and thus fit for the builder's use. The perfect ashlar is always formed from a rough ashlar by removing excess material, never by adding to it. The rough ashlar always contains a perfect ashlar, and the stone is tested many times by the square to determine if it is fit for the builder's use. In masonry, the rough ashlar is symbolic of the man who enters the lodge for the first time, and the perfect ashlar is symbolic of the master mason. In a moral sense, the square is a symbol of morality, truth, justice, and righteousness. Man should refrain from doing to others what he would not have others do to him. This is called the principle of acting on the square, and has been a rule of guidance for men since long before the time of Christ. Every person has a tri-square of his own. It's called a conscience. We use this to measure our thoughts, words, and deeds as to whether they are true or false. The extent to which this test is applied to himself in regard to his relations with his fellows measures the extent to which each man's life will be stable, honest, true, and happy. The young masons then said, tell us more of the level and the plumb. The old past master said, now the square is the tool to be used in the making of a perfect ashlar, but the plumb and level are concerned with the use of the perfect ashlar in order to construct a wall which is straight and strong. As stones are hewed into perfect ashlars and placed in the building wall in a level and vertical manner, 
Men are divested of their coarse habits and sinful manners, thus building a better life for the entire group through their common effort. Each man is tested by his own plumb line, his own conscience, in order for him to fit properly into the whole. Because no two men have the same talents, abilities, or characteristics, no two men can use the same device to measure their fitness. Then the young mason said, Please, past master, be more specific. We understand how to use the working tools to improve ourselves, but we are not clear as to how we can serve our fellow man in a society which is so indifferent to the needs of others. And the old past master said, This is your challenge. Your brothers are confident that you are of a high moral character, and you know that you are now a part of a great temple of masonry. Masonically, you have reached manhood. Do your duty. The following article is from the June 2001 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. Two Great Columns by Michael P. Sinatra Entering King Solomon's Temple from the Eastern Gateway, one would immediately notice the two huge freestanding columns freestanding as these columns did not support a roof or overhead structure. Different views have been expressed as to the actual purpose of the columns, whether they were pillars, obelisks, fire altars, incense stands, or trees of life. Popular opinion among most scholars is that these columns, because of their tremendous size, the names given them, and the elaborate capitals placed on top of each, are not of an architectural necessity, but purely decorative or symbolic in nature. The columns were hollow bronze castings with a wall thickness equivalent to four fingers thick and having a 6 foot 10 inch diameter, 30 foot 8 inch height, and capitals 8 foot 6 inches tall. The capitals or decorative tops placed on the shafts were also made of bronze. They were prepared with images of pomegranates, covered network and wreaths, giving the capitals the appearance of imitating the shape of the seed vessel of the lotus or Egyptian lily a sacred symbol to the Hindus and the Egyptians. The column to the left was named Boaz. On this column was etched in Hebrew the phrase, May the Lord establish the throne of David and his kingdom for his seed forever. The column to the right was named Jachin, and its inscription read, In the strength of the Lord shall the king rejoice. Entered apprentices stowed their working tools within the column Jachin. In turn, masonry has traditionally set globes upon the tops of the two columns. The celestial globe, symbolic of the spiritual part of our composite nature, and the terrestrial globe, symbolic of our material part. If a mason is learned in Kabbalah, an ancient Jewish mystical tradition, he may delve into more complex symbolism whereby each column or globe represents, among other things, wisdom and understanding, the active and passive principles, positive and negative. This is a complex and advanced level of esoteric thought which usually takes a lifetime of study to comprehend fully. The two columns are probably the most familiar fixture of King Solomon's Temple to Freemasons and nearly as familiar a Masonic symbol as the square encompasses. As all Masonic temples are symbolic representations of King Solomon's Temple, the columns are our closest physical link to the original structure. The following article is from the September 2008 Southern California Research Lodge newsletter, and this is called Talk Number 8, and this is actually 8 of 11 talks, Furniture of a Lodge. The Masonic ritual states that the interior of a Freemason's Lodge is composed of ornaments, furniture, and jewels. 
The ornaments are the mosaic pavement, the blazing star, and the indented or tessellated border. The furniture consists of the volume of sacred law, the compasses, and the square. And the jewels are the three movable, the square, level, and plumb, and three immovable, the tracing board, rough ashlar, and perfect ashlar. It is interesting that the ritual refers only to three articles of furniture, and that these particular articles, the volume of sacred law, square, and compasses, are always exhibited in the lodge. Yet, if all the movable contents of a lodge room were listed according to the generally accepted meaning of the term furniture, the list would include many articles not classified in the ritual. For example, the altar, the letter G, gavels, working tools, chairs, pedestals, wands, cabinets, and column, and many other such items are undoubtedly articles of furniture. Many of them would have been found in early operative and speculative lodges, as mentioned below. Nevertheless, the ritual refers to only three items as furniture, the volume of sacred law, the square, and compasses. There is no doubt, of course, about the importance of those three articles because they are used as vehicles of moral instruction. The sacred writings are derived from God to man in general. The compasses belong to the Grand Master in particular, and the square to the whole craft. Why were the others not included? What was the reason for omitting such items as the letter G, the working tools, and other movable contents? There is no clear reason why, but it is important to know that although the New South Wales and the majority of other rituals currently used restrict the term furniture to the volume of sacred law, square, and compasses, yet older rituals named other articles as furniture. This applies particularly to instruction based on the writings of William Preston and Dr. Oliver, some of which are still preserved, for example, at Bath, England. Further, there were at one time, in some places, items of furniture particular to a fellow crafts or master mason's lodge. But even in remote times, the term furniture was restricted to but a small part of lodge equipment. Some writers accept the fact of a restricted application of the term furniture and overcome the problem in this way. They divide all the paraphernalia or appointments or equipment to be found in a lodge room into two categories. Furniture, restricted to the volume of sacred law, square, and compasses as delineated in the ritual. And two, furnishings, that is, all those extra items necessary for the accommodation of the assembled brethren and for the proper conduct of their ceremonies and the illustration of masonry. Long before the first Masonic Hall, of which we have an account, was erected solely for Masonic purposes in Marseille in the year 1765, it was customary for lodges to meet in alehouses or taverns. Some lodges in the world still meet in places which are not exclusive to Freemasonry. The frequent necessity to remove the furnishings, etc., to storerooms after each meeting tended to eliminate the provision of unnecessary items. Many inventories of 18th and 19th century furnishings are available to us in Masonic literature. Some contain items not now usually seen in Mason's Lodge, for example, palls, coffins, and other funeral objects, master hat, clock with a dial divided into 24 hours, beehive, mallet, trowels, chest, tables, broached, thernals, firing glasses, etc. In early 18th century writings, Replicas of King Solomon's pillars set up in lodge rooms are described as handsome pieces of furniture, but in others, the only references in lists of furnishings of lodges are to sets of three candlesticks. However, descriptions of furnishings are found in The Grand Mystery of Freemasons Discovered, 1724, and Wisdom, Strength, and Beauty in Masonry Dissected, 1730. 
These add light to the development of the lesser lights, the tracing boards, and the importance of the three pillars as permanent items of furniture, and establish the fact that furniture had taken on a definite form and meaning before the end of the 18th century. Generally speaking, the primarily operative lodges seem to have possessed little by way of furnishings, only the furniture and other essential items. This was particularly so in Scotland. On the other hand, some lodges were very amply and expensively furnished, possessing much more than most others. Some such lodges pride themselves justifiably on the dignified elegance of their lodge rooms handed down to them by their brethren of yesteryears. Pictures of their furnishings appear in Masonic publications from time to time, while disused items find their way into Masonic museums. But these days, particularly in New South Wales, a considerable measure of standardization of furnishings obtains. Diversity in furnishings between individual lodges exists because no Grand Lodge has laid down a list of items with which a lodge shall be furnished. The furnishing is part of the discretion given to lodges to regulate their own affairs, provided there is nothing omitted or introduced that would be inconsistent with the landmarks, laws, and regulations of our order, and that all is present to meet the requirements of the ritual. This talk has explained that the ritual restricts proper application of the term furniture to three articles and how the other items are considered. It is suggested that selected brethren be invited to study the ritual, the fifth section of the first lecture, and the first tracing board in particular, and any other Masonic literature on the subject, so that each may present a short paper outlining reasons for the ritual restriction. It will add great interest to the work and aid in the cultivation of the human mind, the noble object of Freemasonry, as stated in the introductory address to the lectures on the ritual. And the bibliography used was the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry by Mackey, Freemason's Guide and Compendium by Jones, The Grand Mystery of Freemasons Discovered, and Masonry Dissected. And then following is an editor's note, which is American Ritual agrees with this context to quote Coyle's Masonic Encyclopedia. Furniture of the Lodge. This has changed from time to time. Early lectures emphasized as furniture the mosaic pavement, blazing star, and the indented tessel, while the Bible, square, and compasses were called additional furniture. Modern lectures describe only the last named three as furniture, while the first three are called classed as ornaments. But still, there seems need of further treatment, for the Bible, square, and compasses are also called great lights. Perhaps this is a game of Masonic semantics. That is, there, is there really a difference between furniture and furnishings? The answer should be in the affirmative with recognition that furniture means the volume of sacred law, the square and the compasses. Everything else would be furnishings. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.